Father, help us to understand this passage. There's some bits in there that, that maybe are tough, make us question why you would do that. But Father, I pray that we would see your story of goodness and grace in this, that we would see your story of being absolutely sovereign in this, that we would recognize that you are Lord of all, almighty God and King. Father, I pray that we would be challenged to find ourselves and our loved ones on the right side, on your side. Please speak to us now, we pray, by your Spirit, not because, not because we are wonderful people, but because you are a wonderful God. Speak to us now. Amen. Joshua is out near the walls of Jericho one day for a walk. He's, he's, he's gone out. The people are still in the camp. And we find him here in chapter 5 of Joshua, verse 13. He was near the town of Jericho. And we notice this. He's gone out. I don't know why he's gone out to look over Jericho. Uh, perhaps he's strategizing. Perhaps he's praying. Perhaps he's, he's having a look. He certainly sees, we're, we're told in chapter 6, verse 1, that the walls of the city are up, obviously, but the gates are closed. The city is in lockdown mode. I don't know what he was doing out there, but, but we find that as he's walking along, he's suddenly confronted, caught unawares by a man, a man out of nowhere, standing with sword drawn in his hand. There are two other times in the Old Testament that we encounter a man standing with sword drawn in his hand, and in both of those times, that is um, the angel of the Lord. That is the angel of Yahweh. Joshua doesn't know who this man is. Who is it? Is it the angel of Yahweh? Perhaps, yes. But, but I want to suggest to you this morning that this man that Joshua encounters, as quite often happens when you encounter the angel of Yahweh, the lines are a bit blurred as to whether it's an angel, a messenger of God, or God himself. And we see this here because he encounters this, this commander of the Lord's armies, who we assume is, is a messenger from God, but in chapter 6, we see that it is the Lord, in capital letters, which means Yahweh, speaking to Joshua. The ground we're told, or the ground Joshua is told, is holy ground. He is to take off his shoes, um, which is exactly the same thing that happened with Moses when he encountered God at the burning bush. And, and the place is holy because God, the holy God, is there. The commander of the armies of the Lord is not a special soldier who gets to decide what God's armies do. The commander-in-chief is God himself. I wonder if this is Jesus pre-incarnate appearing to Joshua. I don't know. Maybe it's an angel speaking so closely for God that you, you, you can't distinguish the two. We'll find out one day. All I know is that somehow God is being present to Joshua. 
He instructs Joshua in chapter 6. Just as God instructed Moses after getting him to take off his shoes, so God here instructs Joshua in this holy place. Where is this holy place? It's, it's just outside of Jericho. Just somewhere. It's not a special place. There's no monument to mark this place. It's just where God happened to come and speak with Joshua. Where Joshua was. This commander of the Lord's armies, this, this man who I, I would suggest represents a God himself, a messenger for God, God himself is someone ready for battle. Joshua's question makes sense. If you come across someone with a, with a sword in their hand, I too would say to them, are you for us or against us? Especially if you're standing in what you know to be enemy country. But what's strange about this stranger is that he doesn't play by the rules of us and the enemy, friend or foe. You see, I think what Joshua does is to assume that God fights for us against our enemies. It's not wrong. God does fight for us. But it's back to front. It, it assumes that the people who decide who are friends and who are enemies is us. And this commander of the Lord's armies turns to Joshua and says, wrong question. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm not for them or against them. I am just the commander of the Lord's armies. Don't ask me. And this is where, this is where Joshua clicks. This isn't just a man. He says to Joshua, don't ask me, am I for you or am I for them? Ask yourself, are you on my side? Not, am I on your side, but are you on my side? The, the Israelites were no better in God's eyes than the Canaanites. They were a bunch of conniving, sinful so-and-sos who time and again did absolutely the wrong thing. In fact, we're going to see in the next chapter how they do the wrong thing again. The difference, though, is that these Israelites are people who, having been chosen by God, had committed themselves to him. They had put their trust in him. God had given them this land as a, as a gift, as a promise, but the battles and, and, and the taking of the land wasn't their fight. It was God's fight, God's battle. They were just following the Lord. Jericho, the city, was a gift to Israel. A gift from the one who actually owned it. It was about his glory. What's going to happen to the Canaanites is going to happen because they refuse to accept that God reigns. Confronted with the reality of God saying, are you on my side? They say, well, are you on ours? They say no. And it's strange, this discussion. If you read people, there's, there's quite a few people who go, oh, this, 
verses 13 to 15 of chapter 5 is just a separate little incident. And I, I suspect, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I suspect that actually it does carry on through all the way into chapter 6, this conversation that Joshua is, is having with this commander of the Lord's armies. And people, I think, think that it's two separate incidents because of chapter 6, verse 1. Because you have this incident and, and Joshua realizes that this, this is the commander of the Lord's armies, this is God himself, and I think, I think God himself or so close a messenger of God that it might as well be God, and he falls down and he worships. Another example that probably is God there because he worships and the angel doesn't say, hey, get up, which they tend to do if you worship angels. But people say, well, it must be separate. It must be a really weird little incident because in chapter 6, verse 1, it's like the topic changes. We suddenly get told that the city of Jericho, uh, the gates are tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites and nobody was allowed to go in and nobody was allowed to go out. Um, as I say, I, I think this is a continued story. Uh, just the mention that Joshua is near Jericho. We see the gates of Jericho and we're going to hear about the Lord's instructions uh, about Jericho. Jericho is an interesting city. It, it, it's small. Uh, depending on who you speak to, and the archaeology is a really interesting thing. I'm not going to go into it because we'll go for forever talking about the archaeology of Jericho, but some people say it could be as small as about five acres, the whole city. Now, this place wasn't giant, but it was a, a, a place, a, a fortress. The people there were soldiers. In fact, if you have a look at what God says in chapter 6, verse 2, the people that he mentions, he says, I have given uh, you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. This is a town that stands strategically protecting the land of Canaan, guarding the fords of the Jordan River, guarding the entrances to the hills of the land behind. This is a strategic fortress. And they've closed up the city. They are, they're afraid. But they've also closed up the city because they refuse to accept that God has given this land to his people. If they had accepted that, if they had accepted that God had that right, it's always hard to, to think what might have happened, but I wonder if they might not have survived. Like Rahab. Rahab was a woman in the town who said, I know God's given you this land. What did she do? She put her trust in God. What happened? She became one of the people of Israel. I'm offline. That's okay. Can you hear me? How's that? No. no? Then I'll take this off. She became one of the people of Israel. But the people of Jericho as a whole, and the king in particular, has said, No! We will not accept this. We will not become one of the people of Israel. We will not bow to God as our king and our ruler. We will close our gates. We will not go out. We will not let them in. We shall prevail. We will not accept that he is Lord and King of heaven and earth. We will fight. Actually, we'll fight. We don't even have to fight. We're strong. 
Well, just hide behind our walls, you ragtag bunch of nomad so-and-sos. This is a stronghold holding out against the Lord of heaven and earth. Taking Jericho was not something that Israel was equipped to do. But God was. His instructions are not normal battle plans. Um, they read more like a dedication ceremony. In fact, we, we find out a little bit later in this chapter that the whole city is declared uh, harem, uh, which is, means it's dedicated solely to the Lord. This battle for Jericho actually benefits Israel very little, if at all. They don't get the city. In fact, we hear at the end that the city is meant to never be uh, rebuilt with walls and fortified again. They, they don't get a fortress. They don't get the plunder. They don't get anything. Jericho falls like all those who side against God instead of with God. Because they side against God. And it's interesting, I don't think the focus of the story is on the battle. The actual blood and guts and swords and fighting. The focus of this chapter is on God's presence and power. It's on Israel's trust. It's on Rahab's trust. And it's on Jericho's disobedience. If you've got your Bibles, just swing over to Hebrews chapter 11, where in that great chapter of examples of faith, uh, verse 30 and 31, speak about what happened here. It says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. And it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city, who refused, listen to this, who refused to obey God. Before she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You see what, what the contrasting there is? Trusting God or refusing to obey God. Side, saying to God, I will be on your side. Instead of saying, I'm not going to be on your side. I don't need you. I'm strong by myself. I don't want a bar of you. Marching around the city for seven days was an absolute act of faith. I mean, really, trusting that God would keep his word. I wonder if they stamped really loudly, sort of hoping. Maybe, maybe we can all stand together. Can we all try? Can you all stand your, your foot down really hard? A bit, a bit loud. Let's get a bit of resonance going. I don't know. They had a few more people, but even so, the city was a bit bigger, wasn't it? We can do it in a conga line. Let's get up. Let's get up, Wayne. I'm only worried these walls will fall down. I don't know. I mean, trusting that God would keep his word after four, five, six, seven days marching around the city. And, and what was it doing to the Jerichoites inside? I know VeggieTales has got them calling out taunts. Your mother was a hamster. No, that's that's uh, Monty Python. Veggie Tales riffs on that. 
Or were they unnerved? What are these guys doing? The trumpets blasting. I wonder if God wasn't giving them more chance to turn to him and surrender before it was too late. To dedicate themselves to him. I don't know. You see, as I suggested, I think this marching around for seven days was a dedication ceremony. This is dedicating the city and everything in it to God. And the ark is central to the story. It's symbolic of God's presence and his presence in judgment. The trumpets blasting. God said on the seventh day after the seventh circuit, uh, the trumpet would blast, they would give a shout and the walls would fall. Uh, Not the walls everywhere, Uh, at least Rahab's house stood up, but at least enough of the walls that they could march in and take the place. And that's what happened. Maybe we should try that. When I do the trumpet noise, just all shout. Oh, be still my trembling heart. You see, the point is not the trumpet blast, and the point is not the shout. The point is trusting God. And Israel goes in, and they do what God instructed to them to do, and they dedicate the city to God. Now, being dedicated to God doesn't sound like something really terrible, does it? Um, Until you actually realize... Who God is. Being dedicated to God means being set aside for him. Being his. Now if you think what happened uh, even at Mount Sinai. When Moses was meeting with God. God said, look, set up barriers. uh, Make sure they don't touch the mountain. Barriers, yeah. Basically, don't touch the mountain. Because I'm there. And I'm holy and I'm perfect and I'm totally righteous. And and if anything that is unrighteous comes into my presence, it will be utterly destroyed and undone. And that's what you find. Those who refuse to side with God find that when it's too late, they are undone. And everything is for God in Jericho. The whole city is dedicated to Him. The people, the animals, the animals. The goods, the chattels, the the metals. And whatever cannot be destroyed by fire is given over into into God's temple uh, treasury. It's set aside for sacred use only. Everything is for God. None of it is to be kept for the people. So why are the people killed? Well, they're set aside for God, but God is holy. And here are people who have resisted God and said, we will not trust Him, we will not bow to Him, we will not acknowledge His right to this place, to our lives, to our, to our everything. We will not do it. And God says, yes, but you're dedicated to me and I'm holy and you're not. And the two, it's like matter and antimatter. But even more, one of the great things about physics is you get matter and antimatter electron and proton, I think, and they come together and they annihilate each other in a huge burst of energy. The difference here is, is that God is, is not just matter, God is the one who made matter. And when you have good and evil, you're coming together, it's not that they annihilate and cancel each other out, it's that evil just cannot stand, it just whispers away and disappears. It is undone. We're going to be looking in a few weeks' time at this whole question of, wow, Shouldn't we embarrass? Should, should we be embarrassed by, by all these things that God does? 
But I want to suggest to you now that, that here at Jericho, they, they are dedicated to God, and that is their undoing. Because they're dedicated almost against their will when they realize that God is their king. There goes my phone. But there is one person in the city who is dedicated to God and yet survives. In fact, there's more than one person. There's one person, her father, her mother, and all of her family that are in the house who survive being dedicated to God. Why? Because she hid the spies. Why? Well, she hid the spies because she trusted God. She recognized that God is God, that, that only mercy can save her. She recognized that, that, that she had to side with God, just as Joshua did in verses 13 to 15 when he bowed down and said, I'm here, tell me what to do. Just what Israel had did last week, and they said, we, we commit ourselves to God. We recognize that you alone can save us, that we cannot save ourselves. This is the difference between Rahab, her family, Israel, and the rest of Jericho. They dedicated themselves to God. They said, God, we come to you. We acknowledge that you are God. The rest of the Jericho, they, they, they kind of just found themselves dedicated to God. They found themselves in God's hands. They found themselves realizing that God owns them. As king, God has the right to expect everyone to follow him. No one whose hope is in him will ever be put to shame. Because they're forgiven. But those who are forced to confront the fact that God is sovereign end up dead. I mean, how can God just simply choose to accept Israel and Joshua and Rahab and her family and wipe out the rest of the Jerichoites when they are just as sinful? Well, he does it because he says, if you trust me, I will, I will undo your sin. That's what Jesus is all about. He's all about coming in. saying, yes, you deserve just as much to face judgment. But I'll take your judgment for you. I'll carry your sin. And that's why those who trust in God can survive being dedicated to him. Because when God looks at them, he looks at them through Jesus and he sees them as holy, no longer unholy. All those who refuse to side with God refuse to accept that, refuse to trust him. And so when they come into the presence of God, they come as unholy. Yes, we all come to God as unholy, but God looks at us through Jesus and he says, I've already done all that needs for you to be made right. And I'm going to finish the job soon and then I'm going to smile on you. But right now you can stand in my presence and you can survive. Because I've made you right with me through the life and death 
and resurrection to life eternal of my Son, Jesus. Perhaps even this very commander of the Lord's armies. Jericho was a tiny part of a much larger war. And the fall of Jericho is a foretaste of its result. It's a spiritual war against spiritual powers and rulers and authorities who lock humans up. Just as Jericho was locked up against God. These powers who blind people to their need for God. Who stop them turning to God to be saved, dooming them to death. These powers lie behind everything wrong in this world. Broken relationships. Torture. War. Famine. Disease. Injustice. Sickness. And they're not just powers out there. They operate in and through people. And sometimes it's difficult to tell them from us. They set up strongholds, places where God's sovereign rule is rejected and unwanted. Some of these strongholds are imposed on us from without. The structures of society, ordered so that well, so that we don't know the truth. So that the, the thought of the day stands opposed to the thought of God. The things we put into our mind that society feeds us, directing our attention away from God. The things that we feed ourselves. You see, some of these strongholds are out there, but they're also in here. Places where we are convinced that we don't need God, that He's on our turf. That if He wants to be in our lives, that's wonderful, but are you for us or are you against us? And our question is that, not, am I on your side? It's about what we want, not what he wants. See, this is the story of Joshua, that all those who trust in God, who is good, all those who surrender to him, enjoy his shelter. And yes, people, including you and I, might erect walls and lock gates to try and keep God out, but that's stupid. It's useless. He's already laid claim to your life and my life and this suburb and this city and this country and this world and this universe. He laid claim to it when he made it. He laid claim to it even more on the cross when he said, if you trust me, I will shelter you and I will make you new. He's already declared that all of this is his. That it is dedicated to him. And there will come a day when he returns and Revelation picks up this, this image of the trumpet blasting. And so does Paul. The trumpet blasting. God coming in judgment. The time when what matters most is whether we have surrendered to him, fallen before him and said, you command, you run, or whether we have said, we will 
prevail. God cannot get to us. He's no threat to us. Can we do the can-can? Can we do the can-can? <laughs> Perhaps that's what the Jerichoites were thinking a few days after the marching. <laughs> what a joke. It's God who fought decisively at Jericho. That's the ark symbolized his powerful presence, but he has won a far more decisive battle at the cross. Do you want to give me a hand, Peter? He has declared the war over. Colossians 2 says this, verses 13, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away and then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is trusting him and he's done away with, with all that would see us destroyed in his presence. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The condemning walls of these rulers and authorities have fallen. Jesus has already won the victory on the cross against the strongholds that are erected against him. And he shamed those rulers and authorities. He showed up their defeat. He proved that nothing can stand in the way of his victory, of his plan being fulfilled, of it being recognized that everything is his and for him and for his own glory. This is the plan he was working on with Joshua. Bringing people back into right relationship with him, our creator, king and God. This is why the Israelites came. Rahab picked up on that. She became one of them. This is why the Israelites came. This is why he chose the Israelites. If the strongholds are defeated, A, why would we try and establish new ones? B, why would we cower behind them? Just a little bit of a visual image. You can't <laughs> How stupid to hide behind a fallen wall. The same power that released creation from bondage to sin and death is at work in us. Who put our trust in him who fall down and worship the commander of the Lord's armies more who worship God himself. The commander in chief. Every obstacle of sin is already undone. Yes, there might still be some fighting to do, but the battle is as good as won. And the outcome is certain both for those who trust in God and for those who don't. Steve. Well, um, the next service, we're going to go into communion. Um, I'll have to, I was going to get Mark and Peter to come up and serve everybody. I'd like to pray for 
represents God's blood. And symbols as your as our offering to you for the um, spilling of your blood we pray that you will you've taken away our sins and you will look after and guide us in everything we do Jesus said to us to do this in remembrance of him. sacrificed on the cross for our sins and we pray that your body was broken to save us from the evil one. We pray that your name will be glorified in every way.
lives will all be changed because of this and that your will will be done in our lives as well. I'm going to finish in a slightly different way by listening to a song. Uh, The words are going to be up on the screen. Uh, If you could follow along, it's called uh, Every Giant Will Fall. (laughs) 